Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We are halfway through the football season, and basketball is back into full swing. And BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus today. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the take it easy podcast live on the believe podcast network except it isn't live because it's a podcast welcome in everybody it is november 15th and it is our nfl monday podcast for week number 10 for those who of course are new to the proceedings The NFL Monday podcast is just our way to talk about the NFL games that happened this weekend, even if they were kind of boring and even if some of them were kind of weird and I don't know what to do with them. If we want to laugh at some of the things that happened this weekend, like Texas losing to Kansas, that is over on our Memes of the Weekend podcast, which also drops on Mondays. We started doing this this year because there's a lot to get to coming out of Sunday, and sometimes that supersedes the Saturday stuff, but also we want to do Wired Up on Sundays to talk about stuff that happens on Saturday. So three podcasts within 24 hours dropping into your life, and uh, we appreciate all the support that y'all give to these podcasts. So yeah, that's how this thing works on an NFL Monday. We will get to the Cleveland and New England game later on here today. We will get to the Tampa and Washington game in a central theme of Brady and Belichick because it was the rare dub for Bill Belichick, and uh, I think that means we're going to talk about the Titans at some point here. Who knows? We'll find out in a bit. But first, I would like to begin the NFL Monday proceedings by doing something we don't do quite so often here on the Take It Easy podcast or Comical Sports Memes or really any platform you can find me on. I'm going to compliment... Big Ben, or at the very least, I'm going to play devil's advocate for Ben Roethlisberger. Big Ben is a backup quarterback at this point in his career, and we last year made fun of him by calling him Jimmy Garothlisberger and how his career was basically over and he should have retired after he tore his elbow, and he's aging the way that every quarterback before Tom Brady aged out of the NFL where if you asked when should Big Ben retire, the answer is negative one years ago. Big Ben is uh, 
Eli Manning and beyond at this point. It is over physically for Ben Roethlisberger, and he has nothing left to give at this point. But today we found out 100% certainty. We were pretty sure before he is indeed still better than Mason Rudolph. And Mason Rudolph is is one of the shittier backup quarterbacks in the NFL. We knew this coming into today. And yet Mason Rudolph was there in our lives, putting up absolute duds for the Pittsburgh Steelers against the Detroit Lions in a game that ended in a tie and would be perfect for our Memes of the Weekend podcast and like our introductory segment there. But this belongs first and foremost on the NFL Monday podcast, because the funniest thing that happened this weekend was Texas and Kansas. And if we only took funny things out of this, we wouldn't really have much to talk about here on the NFL Monday. So let's talk about the Lions and Steelers. I love that they opened the broadcast by talking about how the Detroit Lions have not won a game in Pittsburgh since 1955. And congratulations, They did not lose a game in Pittsburgh for the first time since 1955. If you had to guess right now, trivia question here. What percentage of the population was alive when the Lions last won a game in Pittsburgh in 1955? Correct answer, 19% of our current population was alive at the time the Detroit Lions last won against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So the Lions came up with the foolproof strategy today that is the true Jimmy Garothlisberger strategy of we're just not going to let our quarterback pass at all. Not once. Jared Goff was Teddy Bridgewater on steroids. In the game against the Eagles today, Teddy Bridgewater threw two passes further than 10 yards down the field. Jared Goff did not even get to that point. There was a time with seven minutes left in the third quarter where the Detroit Lions had 16 points compared to 10 for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the Detroit Lions had 11 total passing yards. Jared Goff was four for eight for 11 passing yards and by the way he had a higher passer rating than Tom Brady Russell Wilson later on in the day and Mason freaking Rudolph you know why because turnovers are that detrimental and we'll get to that more as a theme of the day once we talk about the Patriots game but turnovers are hugely costly and so the Lions basically said we're just not gonna let Jared Goff throw the ball all over the field In fact, we're not going to let him throw the ball at all. We're going to run the ball every single play. Which is interesting because remember, this is the Lions franchise that went like five years without having a 100-yard rusher. And this was like a fun game that everyone played. Is like, is Reggie Bush going to get 100 yards? Is, I don't know, uh, (laughs) name another running back for the Lions. Theo Riddick. Is Theo Riddick going to get there? Is Javid Best gonna get there like that we just kept looking are the lions can the lions get 100 rushing yards and the answer was never yes they i think they went through adrian peterson at one point and the lions now are changing it up by just committing all the way to the running strategy 
Uh, Jefferson, I forgot what his first name is for the Lions, but he had like three carries for 41 yards and a touchdown, and then he just didn't get to touch the ball the rest of the game. DeAndre Swift touched the ball 33 times. Uh, I'm sorry, he ran the ball 33 times. He also got six targets, so that is 40 plays on offense. They threw the ball 25 times, took four sacks, so that's 29, plus the 38 runs that they had. That means about 60% of all offensive plays were through DeAndre Swift, which is incredible. And the Lions basically said, the Steelers can't score. Steelers can't score, and they can't. Najee Harris had 100 yards, but the Steelers can't score. Steelers still have gone a full year without having a game where they scored more than 30 points. We talked about this last Tuesday coming out of that Steelers Monday night game. And, oh my gosh, it was so beautiful. So beautiful to watch the Lions and Steelers just play absolutely crap football. Because then you get further into the game, and Jared Goff in overtime has a 30-yard catch and run to Amon Ross St. Brown. And Amon Ross St. Brown had that catch for 30 yards, and Jared Goff had 55 in all of regulation. 55 passing yards in all of regulation. And guess what? Jared Goff outthrew his regulation statistics in overtime. 55 to 59. He had 59 passing yards in overtime. Completed uh, 56% of his passes. It was so, so bad for Detroit you can go further to the fact that in overtime there were multiple third and 26 passes that were dropped interceptions by each team the Steelers had a third and 26 that almost got intercepted the Lions had a third and 26 that almost got intercepted it was beautiful (laughs) they the Lions defense didn't even sack Mason Rudolph one time and Mason Rudolph still couldn't do anything. There was one play where Mason Rudolph had a wide open receiver in the end zone and he threw it at his feet. It was so bad. And these these have to be the two worst offenses in the NFL, except they're not because the Chicago Bears also exist. And the Houston Texans also exist. Because there's just so many crap offenses in the NFL this year. Pittsburgh is right there among them. Neither of these teams are making the playoffs. This is in an NFC where the Lions are literally the only team that doesn't have a chance to make the playoffs. Both teams get a tie. And my favorite moment of the entire weekend, favorite moment of the entire weekend, was not just the Lions deciding our most effective strategy is by becoming the 49ers and just running the ball aggressively because at least we have three really good offensive linemen, even though Frank Ragnow, I think, is out for the season. We, normal circumstances, have really good linemen and Taylor Decker, Panay Sewell, Frank Ragnow. We're just going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball with DeAndre Swift. It's the only talented players that we have on the entire team. It'll only get us so far, but that's just our best way to try and turn this ship around. Other than getting the number one pick and trying to improve the defense. And other than that, the end of the game when the Steelers are working the ball down the field and with 15 seconds, they throw the pass to Fryermuth and Fryermuth, while trying to go out of bounds, gets stripped by the Detroit Lions 
and it's recovered with eight seconds left in the game with the Steelers in field goal range, thinking the Lions aren't going to win. Again, right after the kicker for the Lions just absolutely shanked a 48-yard kick, didn't even make it 48 yards. I don't know if it was windy or what in Pittsburgh, but it was just an absolute shank of a kick. We all wanted to believe the Lions would win it right there, and then we thought the Steelers were going to win it after that, and then they had penalty, penalty, Third and 26, almost intercepted. Lions had to punt on fourth and 10. And I <laughs> actually, while we're still going on this, before we get to the funniest part, when Friermuth fumbles with eight seconds left, they also listed that the Detroit Lions are first in the NFL this year in fourth down attempts. And so when it's fourth and 10 at their own 19, I'm like, I'm not saying Man Campbell shouldn't go for it on fourth and 10 at his own. 19-yard line, but I'm not not saying Man Campbell shouldn't go for it on fourth down and 10 at his own 19-yard line with two minutes left in overtime. And so the Lions fast forward to, oh, sorry, they were first in fourth down attempts this year because, of course, Man Campbell subscribes to the school, or, you know, I think it's Anthony Lynn, but of course they subscribe to the school of thought that punting is for cowards. And yet, despite the fact that they have gone for five more fourth down conversions than the next closest team, the Detroit Lions are 26th in the NFL in fourth down conversions. And multiple times this year, I've seen Jared Goff throw the ball away on fourth and three. All of this to say that fast forward to the end of the game where everyone's just making joke after joke after joke on the internet. And Frere Muth fumbles the football with eight seconds left. And I just started laughing. I just started laughing hysterically in my chair. That was how it was going to end. In field goal range, Frere Muth was going to fumble. The Lions were going to recover and we were going to get a tie. I just laughed. It's just pure jovial didn't even know it was going to happen just laughing out loud in my seat and that does not happen very often just sitting there not not even looking through the internet not even trying to find content out of it just pure jovial laughter out of that truly truly terrible finish but also the greatest game of the day that deserves to be first and foremost prominently featured on the NFL Monday podcast. So I don't know if this counts as a a victory for the Lions, but the fact that they didn't lose this week I think is justification enough because I really want to play our Detroit Lions theme song, a.k.a. Kickstart My Heart by Motley Crue, because this goes behind one of our great montages over on the Instagram in favor of the Detroit Lions and manliest of man Campbells. So let's play the transition song, because the Lions did not lose. And that is a victory for all of us.
Moving along here, we finally have a nice little victory for Bill Belichick here in the dumb Brady versus Belichick debate that we don't talk about because both of them are very strong. But also, I've been reading uh, Seth Wickersham's book a lot, as I've mentioned, pretty much on like four straight podcasts. It's very interesting. And reading a lot about the Belichickian ideology is really fascinating. Like the idea of Belichick as a leader always needing to be flexible whenever a situation pops up. And that's kind of a big part of the job. And the fact that he puts in the ridiculous amount of work that maybe other coaches don't in terms of the weird trying to find things that he doesn't, that other people don't see, but also being the defensive genius that he is. All of that to say, Bill Belichick gets a nice dub this week because the Patriots are now six and four and they're six and four with a roster that is probably about three and seven good. But also if you take out the game where Damian Harris fumbles and the game where Mick Folk misses that late kick in the page against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady, where Brady had one of the worst games of his career. That's another victory that coulda, shoulda, woulda been for the Patriots. So the Patriots have won convincingly and lose in kind of close, weird, fluky situations, which suggests that the Patriots are a really good team, or at least a pretty above-average team, and that's something we didn't think about at the start of the year. And so Patriots put a beat down on the Cleveland Browns today. I am glad that I picked the Patriots instead of trusting the gut on whether Cleveland was the more talented team because Cleveland is the more talented team. But the Patriots have found ways to succeed even without the talent, even when the talent goes away. Like, they didn't even have Damian Harris and Jonu Smith from their already not-talented offense, and yet they put up 45 on the Cleveland Browns today with rookie Rashad Stevenson going for like 110 yards and two touchdowns or whatever it was. I don't know if that's exactly correct, but it's something like that. And so Cleveland ends up getting beat up real good, and now they're in the middle of the pack in the... AFC in a way and in a way that we didn't think they would be at the start because I thought Cleveland would be hard pressed to try and win the division going up against Baltimore and that still very much seems to be the case even as Baltimore takes the L against the Dolphins this week but even still like Cleveland has had real issues on defense this year obviously Baker Mayfield's playing with a torn shoulder in his non-throwing shoulder and then took a knee injury today. So Baker Mayfield is already playing down bad. And maybe, you know, like in the way that everyone's losing quarterbacks and losing key players here, that the Browns will succumb to that idea of injuries blowing everything up, especially on defense, because the defense has been good. But in the same way where I didn't want to anoint the Browns defense at the start of the year, the Browns have kind of been somewhere in like the 7 to 8 range on defenses, which is interesting because when they signed Troy Hill and John Johnson and Jadavian Clowney and brought in, uh, I forgot, uh, they spent a draft pick on JOK and drafted, I forgot the name of the corner with the first round pick. Um, when they spent all that they did on the defense, I don't think their expectation was it would be keeping them just enough to get by. It would be just as good as the defense last year. Not getting worse was obviously something they expected because they invested so much, but it's still interesting to see where they stand right now, given all that we just talked about with the Patriots and how the Patriots have done less battled injuries and still found ways to succeed where Cleveland is like injuries are just getting him by and defensive schemes only do so much. I did find it interesting today when Jadavian Clowney and Miles Garrett both ran off the edge 
on the same side of the edge where one took on the uh, guard, uh, the left guard. I forgot the name of the left guard for the Patriots. And the other one took on Isaiah Wynn, the left tackle. And Garrett had a batted pass at one point in there too. But it was an interesting strategy of having those two rush side by side instead of bringing the pressure from both to collapse the pocket a bit because they weren't really worried about Mac Jones scrambling out of the pocket. What kind of became their game was how can we get blindside pressure on Mac Jones and force him to have to throw the ball in under three seconds or under three and a half seconds because when it's Tom Brady and when it's Aaron Rodgers or when it's Russell Wilson, except for today, you're afraid that those passes are still going to be connected even if you don't have two and a half to three seconds. But with Mac Jones, similarly to what the Packers did with Jordan Love last week, if you can get the pressure on, Mac Jones is going to probably rush his timing a little bit, not connect as far unless they ask him to just work in the short field. But even then, Mac Jones has looked really inaccurate in the short field at times too. So it's a very confusing situation. There's obviously a rookie growth gap in there, but they really just emphasize, let's just get pressure on Jones as fast as possible. We're not worried about containment or trying to keep him in the pocket for longer. We want to get him to throw the ball out as quickly as he can because the faster you get to the quarterback, generally the better off you're going to be. All of that to say, Cleveland Browns, didn't really do much for you because your run defense was stinky. Which brings us all the way back to the other side of it about controlling the ball, like we talked about earlier. Uh, the Patriots had no turnovers in the game today, and you flip it to the other side of the Brady Belichick coin to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is a just a weird result. Um, this is a very explainable result, unlike the um, the Denver Broncos going up 30-0 against the Cowboys last week in a weird flute game, and then the Cowboys dropping 40 on the Atlanta Falcons in three quarters. Not like one of those weird football moments, but still, the Washington-Tampa game was very explainable today, and it's just as simple as Tom Brady throws two early interceptions and it swings the game six points right there. Assuming he doesn't score on one of those drives like Tampa typically would. Tampa has scored, by the way, in all but two games now in the last two years on one of their first two possessions. I'm sorry, not not in the last two years. In the last 10 games, which goes back into last year, Tampa has found a way to score on their first or second possession all but two times. So Tampa Bay finds themselves in a similar situation today where first drive, Tom Brady throws a pick, goes for Washington field goal. Tom Brady throws another pick, goes for another Washington field goal with Joey Sly, by the way, who let's give shout out to Joey Sly here because I made this post at the very beginning of the day that Joey Sly started the year in training camp on the Carolina Panthers got cut at the end of camp by the Panthers, signed weeks one through three with the Houston Texans, and we laughed about how Joey Sly, I thought, was on the Panthers and then saw him on the other team when they played that terrible Thursday night game between the Panthers and Texans. Well, anyways, Joey Sly gets cut by the Texans, signs with the 49ers because the 49ers lost, uh, was it Robbie Gold is the kicker for them? Yeah, Robbie Gold went out and... Then he gets cut by the 49ers and is now the Washington kicker. So Joey Sly has been on four different teams in the last two plus months of the season. But Joey Sly gets those two kicks off the Tom Brady picks. 
a little rhyme there to pass the time two picks off of two kicks off of two picks and that's a 13 point swing right there and the final score ends up being 29 to 19 so if you take out those 13 points then you have a cover by Washington against Tampa which is totally possible I think the line for that game was nine and a half and that would have been a if you swing those 13 points would have been a three-point Tampa win it's just as simple as interceptions are so valuable if you convert points the other way because these short consistent drives only will get you points so often and controlling time of possession was something we talked about with stripe hype yesterday but all of that to say the turnovers are so costly we're going to talk about it again with the chiefs probably a few more times this year when what is wrong with patrick mahomes or what is wrong with the bills offense it's as simple as committing more turnovers it's going to lead to more point swings in dramatic fashions and will sometimes flip results pretty dramatically weird ones like the tampa bay buccaneers losing to washington who couldn't do shit on offense today like what was so dumb about that was that the Buccaneers, who had been prided on having the best rushing defense in the NFL, who, by the way, they battled a bunch of injuries too, they gave up a 10-minute drive to end the game, finished off with an Antonio Gibson touchdown. They had penalties that got them first downs, and Dominican Sue jumped off sides one time. I think it was Jason Pierre-Paul jumped into the neutral zone one time. Like, they just did everything to bail Washington out and they had the longest drive of the entire season in terms of time was Washington's game-winning touchdown drive against Tampa Tampa scored zero or sorry they scored six points in the fourth quarter but they scored zero points in the final 12 minutes of the game because they only held the ball for a minute and 30 in the final 12 minutes of the game was stupid and Washington ends up winning the game 29-19, to 10-point win that only exists because Tom Brady turned the ball over. Is Tom Brady going to turn the ball over a lot? No, Tom Brady's not going to turn the ball over a lot. Has Tampa not won in three weeks? Absolutely, Tampa has not won in three weeks. But this is just something that's going to happen. Tom Brady doesn't make the out route throw the same way he used to. This was always the case even during that 10-game win streak Tampa had to end last year and start this year. Even then, Tom Brady could not make those throws. They just built the offense differently around that. And Tom Brady just happened to have two interceptions at the start of the game, and he corrected it, totally corrected it by the second half of the game. Tom Brady was totally fine after that. He finished 23 for for 34, which means if you take out the first two for six stretch, or really the first four for eight stretch if you want, if you take out the first four for eight stretch, Tom Brady finished 19 for 26. That's about... 74% completion percentage, 215 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Tom Brady game managed the rest of the way, and that's exactly what you would expect. He just got burned at the start of the game, did the thing that Tom Brady almost never does, and that's why you get the weird result of Washington against Tampa, or why, if you want to go back to earlier in the season, how you get the result of the Cincinnati Bengals getting crushed by the Chicago Bears. How did that happen? Joe Burrow threw three straight interceptions. The Saints winning 38-3 against the Packers. How did that happen? Aaron Rodgers threw three interceptions. Turnovers change results in these weird ways. Dak Prescott had the same problem happen to him. Uh, the Broncos lose because Teddy Bridgewater turned the or there was a fumble where uh, Darius Slay picked it up and Teddy Bridgewater blocked his own man to allow Darius Slay to score a touchdown. 
and the Eagles beat the Broncos the week after the Broncos dominated the Cowboys. All of that's going to happen when the turnover margins flip. We talked about this right off the bat of the season with the Cowboys game, where the Cowboys, if not for Greg Zerline leaving eight points on the field, beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the first game of the season and would have been undefeated until the Denver Broncos mopped the floor with them. All of that is because of turnover margins changing. And Tom Brady is pretty good at not turning the ball over, but he's not going to be perfect. Just like Mahomes has had a bad year in that and being unlucky, it's going to happen. The solution is to just throw the ball shorter, run the ball more, and assume it'll correct itself, like with Tampa. You don't change anything after the Washington game. You go back and look at the tape, and Tom Brady surely will change a few things, especially because the game before that, he threw the pick against the Saints uh, at the end of the game, but they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine towards the back end of the game. It's just that this was a very explainable weird loss, and it emphasizes the reason why the NFL changed so much in the last 15 years, because they realized the turnovers matter so much and then there's Carson Wentz still out here just saying nah we're gonna left hand throw it to Jonathan Taylor and try and avoid an interception because that's the most effective strategy to stay in the modern NFL is by throwing caution into the wind and bucking against the analytical grain How about those Kansas City Chiefs? I record this while wearing my Patrick Mahomes jersey, celebrating the Kansas City Chiefs regaining first place in the AFC West, presumably because I'm recording this with 13 minutes left in the fourth quarter and the Chiefs are up 20 points against the Raiders. Chiefs looked awesome, and I know they threw the ball most of the time and kind of played to their strength by going after the Raiders' depleted secondary, but they did the same strategy in reverse against the Packers, and this is one of those things that's interesting about football where you usually play the opponent more than you play yourself, and it's one of those weird sports where that's the case, but shout out to Kansas City for that. Like They totally changed the strategy around based on who they were playing, and then they went right after the uh they went right after the oh, the Las Vegas Raiders and Patrick Mahomes at this point of the recording had the highest passer rating of any quarterback in the NFL in the league this week 32 for 47 346 yards four touchdowns Tyreek Hill had two touchdowns Damian Williams had a touchdown and uh Gray had a touchdown but even still it was a fun Roll in a long game for Kansas City that I kind of watched and also was kind of recording our Memes of the Weekend podcast during, and I guess some of the NFL Monday pod. All of that to say, Kansas City does not need to be freaking, no, people don't need to be freaking out of the Chiefs. Chiefs are fine. The Chiefs were fine the way through this. I lose confidence progressively as the weeks go on with Kansas City, and so this one felt good to know that they can still whoop up on the inferior AFC West opponents, which after the Chargers and Broncos games this afternoon, it was a rough week for the AFC West. But the Chiefs keep on rolling, and they are back to first place. And as Razor Rosenthal told you a few weeks ago, it's a good time to bet the Kansas City Chiefs because now they are back to the top.
and courtesy of everyone else losing in the AFC, just might be the favorites going forward. So let's talk about Saints and Titans now, because I guess that game was interesting, but I felt like as I was watching the Red Zone channel, like it felt like the Titans had it the whole way, and then the Saints were just trying to storm back at the end. And this analysis could be as simple as if the Saints have Alvin Kamara, they beat the Tennessee Titans. This felt like a game where in the, the day of chaos, where the Carolina Panthers are destroying the Arizona Cardinals, and... You know, the Eagles are beating the Broncos the week after the Broncos beat the Cowboys and all the craziness that went down with New England putting up, you know, 38 point victory against Cleveland and Pittsburgh and Detroit and Washington beating Tampa and Dallas putting up 45 on the Falcons. All of that. It felt like the Saints and Titans played exactly like the teams that they are. What I mean by that is the Tennessee Titans had 23 points and felt comfortably ahead the entire game, which is not something that normally happens in an NFL game where a team does not score an exorbitant amount of points and yet and not playing a terrible offense. I mean, the Saints offense is terrible right now because everyone's injured, but not playing like a Colts-Jaguars game today where the Colts did only score 23 points, but the Jaguars were just so horrific on offense that they ended up... Feel We knew all the way the Colts were going to win. It's not like that. It's like the Titans put up 23 points and it felt like they were comfortably in the lead the entire game. And they lost Julio Jones to IR, which is only going to be like three weeks. And obviously Derrick Henry's out. And they just keep kind of trucking along with 18-wheeler Deonta Foreman as their new Derrick Henry, basically. And they only had on 19 carries between Deonta Foreman and Adrian Peterson... They had 19 carries for 51 yards, and the longest carry of the day was 6 yards. 19 for 51, if you are wondering at home, adds up to 2.6 yards per carry for the Tennessee Titans offense. And this is exactly what we talked about last week after the Titans-Rams game, which is the Titans are going to make the playoffs, and they're going to have a nice little 3 or 4 seed in the the AFC, and they're going to play a wild card game on ESPN. But if they don't have Derrick Henry for the next six weeks, they're going to really struggle to score points. They're really going to have a problem scoring points, even if they're going to be able to hold teams to fewer points. And last week we talked about similarly with the interception talk with Tom Brady. That's just a weird fluky result for the Rams. And this was a poor offense from the Saints where if they have... Alvin Kamara, they probably win this game in a comeback fashion because the Saints on 14 Mark Ingram carries had 47 yards. And for the game, if you count the Taysom Hill package and Dwayne Washington, who apparently is a Saint, as I'm looking at the box score, had no idea. If you add all of that together, they had under 100 rushing yards as a team, just as the Titans had under 70 rushing yards as a team. And so this is an interesting place that the Titans find themselves in because the Saints the Saints as we saw today they're probably going to make the playoffs by default because there's just a lot of bad teams in the NFC and they're still moderately okay because they have a good defensive unit or at least I think they have a good defensive unit Um, they are probably that team that's just slightly worse than the Titans if you have a playoff game between the Saints and the Titans which I know they play in different conferences but the Saints are probably a six seed Titans are probably a three seed 
This is a type of caliber team the Saints would match up with in the playoffs. And like today, I imagine the Saints would be about five and a half point underdogs in a wild card game like that. And so the Titans really are struggling to score points. And they play the Texans next week, which should be a victory as long as Tannehill doesn't turn the ball over, which is really the beauty of Tannehill at this point is even when you've taken away his safety blanket and even when you've taken away Julio Jones now, which technically Julio Jones wasn't there for much of the season. So it's not like this is a dramatic pivot. Um, At the same time, even without those two, they have still at this point put up two touchdowns and only the one turnover against the Rams since the they left or since losing those two guys. And on the season, Tannehill is 12 touchdowns and eight interceptions and is basically league average passer rating, which is about what we expect from Tannehill. All of this to say, this is just a long way of going about it too. They are really going to struggle to score points. And we saw that today, but they can still beat inferior offenses like the New Orleans Saints. So in a day of chaos, both these teams played exactly like the teams that we think they are, which is the Saints are about a six seed. Titans are about a three seed, and uh, in a playoff matchup like this, the Titans win an ugly win. But if they had Derrick Henry, they'd probably win by more, and if the Saints had Alvin Kamara, they'd probably be pulling the upset today, because I said the Titans exist to be the three or the four seed, but more specifically the four seed, play a wild card game on ESPN and lose. And I don't even feel good still about the Titans winning a wild card game, even though they have the number one seed in the AFC, which by the way, they will not by the end of the season, even though the AFC doesn't even have a seven win team at this point. uh, And even though the Titans still have, I believe two games against the Texans on their schedule. uh, Yes, they do. They have two against the Texans, one against the Jaguars, Steelers, 49. Oh God, maybe they will. Titans don't play any hard teams the rest of the season. Oh gosh. The Titans might get a top seed by default. And if they get Derrick Henry back, I mean, look out for them, but, uh, Titans, good job on their part. I still would take the Bills and the Ravens over you in the playoffs. But if you get Derrick Henry back, at least the defense is stable. I want to believe in you, Titans. You played exactly like the team I think you are as presently constructed today. Hopefully you get Derrick Henry back, because if you get Derrick Henry back, all the math is changing for the Tennessee Titans. Say it with me, y'all. Tighten up! is so disgruntled with Green Bay Packers that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. And so we have a standoff here that nobody knows exactly where it's going. He is not making this about money. He wants out of there and he's telling you there is no amount of money. We want him back in the worst way. I know he knows that. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll continue to work at it. The situation between the Green Bay Packers and Devontae Adams is not good as far as this weekend as far as training camp we will see there's been one message consistently coming out of Aaron Rodgers camp and and that's I don't want to be here I suppose we could just collectively toss this game out for Russell Wilson because I know we played the uh, the Packers last dance song there but honestly that's just because uh, a lot of the teams we play transition music for lost this week whether it be the Chargers or the Browns Uh, All of the New York teams, all of that to say, we just needed a transition with the Packers, of course. And so the Packers 
win the game and the entire offense comes from A.J. Dillon. And look, we did the victory lap podcast last year on A.J. Dillon. I don't think we need to uh, over-exaggerate that one again this time. A.J. Dillon's a very good running back. I thought he was the number one running back coming out of his draft class. I started him in fantasy this week. He had 66 yards, two touchdowns after Aaron Jones got hurt. If Aaron Jones does get hurt, it stinks for the Packers, but it's also not the end of the world for the Green Bay Packers because the Packers are really good at running the football. I don't know how much of that is Aaron Jones versus A.J. Dillon, but I think A.J. Dillon's really, really good. So Packers, very good uh, running the football today. Aaron Rodgers did just enough to win, uh, even though he had an average game, which kind of seemed to be the theme of today is a lot of average performances. Um, We can go back one segment to the Saints and Titans, and I was looking at numbers for the uh, Jaguars and Colts game as we were talking about AFC South in there and talking about how the Colts scored 23 points, but they were ahead the whole way because the Jaguars' offense was shit. Uh, The Jaguars' offense was shit, and Trevor Lawrence completed fewer than 50% of his passes. And again, Daryl Bevel. You can you can get your ass on out of here now. (laughs) There's there's no reason to keep Daryl Bevel as offensive coordinator. And the the um the Jaguars Colts game reminded me like Carson Wentz had a 70 passer rating, Aaron Rodgers 70 passer rating, Trevor Lawrence 50 passer rating in the game today, uh, Justin Herbert 70 passer rating, uh, Tom Brady was in the 70s for passer rating today. Uh, just everyone playing terrible games across the board and no like star studded performances other than just Ryan Tannehill not turning the ball over and also <laughs> the Carolina Panthers offense all around. Uh, <laughs> Cam Newton having four, eight passes, or I'm sorry, eight pass yards and still finding a way to have two touchdowns, all of that being funny, um, except actually Jalen Hurts. Everyone except Jalen Hurts, who had 103 passer rating today. Everyone else just played terribly. He could go to Goff. He could go to Mason Rudolph. Everyone played poorly on offense. And, oh, yeah, Buffalo Bills, too. But <laughs> forgot about Josh Allen, of course. Josh Allen just dominating the, the New York Jets, which should kind of count, but also doesn't. Anyways, all of that to say, in a day where offense was terrible, Russell Wilson was bad. And it felt like every time the Seahawks got down into the red zone, it felt like they were always going to get off the hump because they only finished with zero points, but it was kind of weird that they finished with zero because they, I think they failed a fourth down conversion and Russell Wilson had two picks in the end zone and it was re- and also Aaron Rodgers had a pick in the end zone to Jamal Adams, all of that being really weird, but Russell Wilson just playing bad and it's not even like this is where Russell Wilson falls apart. Is it? This is just one where it's like, I don't know how healthy Russell Wilson is. I don't know what the game plan was. The Packers have the best secondary in the NFL. We saw similar type things happen to Patrick Mahomes last week because the Packers are really, really good at stopping the pass. And as we talked about with Gage Bridgeford this week, really, really okay at stopping the run. But also, they've been terrible at stopping the run in the past, so it's only a slight improvement. And so, Russell Wilson, with injuries, was just going up against a really good passing attack, and I defy you to name the starting running back for the Seattle Seahawks. Because I think Chris Carson didn't play in this game. That is true. He did not. And so... Who is the starting running back for the Seattle Seahawks? If your guess was Alex Collins, you would be correct. And he had 10 carries for 41 yards today. And this was a grueling, grueling loss for the Seattle Seahawks. Um, It felt like there was injuries left and right in that game. It was the last one of the day. The Packers scored most of their points towards the back end of the game. Everyone was playing 
okay defense. I know this was just like Aaron Rodgers. We said earlier in the week when we were talking about this, like it could be Geno Smith versus Jordan Love. It could be Russell Wilson versus Aaron Rodgers. Like there were two totally different scenarios. Rodgers was in the quarantine bubble for 10 days and it looked a little bit like that, which is why they game managed him a little and how they had the two interceptions and Aaron, uh, not Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon having the bulk of the scoring at the end just to put the game away. It was winnable for both sides and both teams did what they could to lose the game. And it was just a weird game altogether. So I'm not going to pretend like we learned anything from this game. Uh, we said when we were going through all those NFC wildcard teams that the Seahawks might be the team that emerges victorious. I'm starting to believe in the Panthers a bit more now that Sam Darnold is gone and uh, Sam Darnold By the way, do you know how bad Sam Darnold had to be to go from being the number three quarterback in QBR through three weeks to being 32nd by the time he got hurt? Like, it it was so bad with Sam Darnold. And just having P.J. Walker just game manage his way. Not even game manage. It wasn't even a good job at game managing. It was like P.J. Walker doing just enough to get by with a 74 passer rating was just enough against the Cardinals' defense because the Cardinals made more mistakes with McCoy and Strevler and just being banged up. A lot of people banged up. That's kind of a theme this week, I guess. And the Seahawks and Packers and Arizona Cardinals all together get to be banged up, injured teams. I guess to finish off here, let's talk about the the Panthers and Cardinals game a little bit because the Cardinals matter and the Panthers are technically the seventh seed right now. So I guess this game does technically matter a little bit. This one can just be chalked up as Cardinals battling injuries um, and Colt McCoy playing really bad um, before getting injured after that. And the Panthers having Christian McCaffrey healthy, I guess, and addition by subtraction of not having Sam Darnold, which I always feel like is um, when, when we say addition by subtraction, sometimes it feels like we're being mean or I'm trying to think of a better word for mean. What is it? patronizing that was the word I was going for patronizing and yes I did just pause the podcast for four minutes to try and think of that word patronizing when we talk about someone a team getting better by subtracting we've heard it a lot with Odell Beckham recently we heard it with the Patriots when they got rid of Cam Newton that this was addition by subtraction it's usually has a lot of racist undertones around it because as Cam Newton did today when he screams I'm back A lot of people are going to be upset at Cam Newton over doing that, and they're probably going to be the same people who aggressively advocate that Odell Beckham was the problem with the Cleveland Browns. Just saying, there are a lot of connotations with loud, strident black men being themselves. People don't like that, especially with white privilege. All of that to say, it feels patronizing when you say it, but on the flip side... Panthers give me more confidence just without having Sam Darnold at quarterback. And I know PJ Walker and Cam Newton are both not like starting caliber quarterbacks in the NFL. That's not to say Sam Darnold was a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL, but it just gives me more confidence that they're just not going to do stupid things and can beat some of the inferior opponents that the Panthers will probably play and that they couldn't do before. Like the Panthers looked like one of these inferior opponents all the way throughout the season. They've got Washington next week. Then they play the Dolphins, the Falcons, 
Then they get a rough stretch of of Bills, Buccaneers, Saints, and Bucks. It's the reason why I don't think that the Panthers are going to make the playoffs, but it's the reason that gives me more confidence they have a chance in a truly, truly terrible NFC. Because one of the things we talked about earlier this week and only feels reaffirmed today is someone's going to get the seventh seed in the NFC and they're not going to deserve it. Because if you look at the NFC standings right now, you've got the... Every, every single team right now is in the hunt on the graphic, according to uh, NFL Red Zones one today. So it's obviously Cardinals, Cowboys, Packers, Bucks are winning their divisions. Rams are going to be a wild card team. Those are five good teams. Saints are, look like they're going to be the sixth seed. Then you have Carolina five and five, Falcons four and six, Vikings four and five, Seahawks three and six, San Francisco three and five, Washington three and six. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles four and six, New York Giants three and six, Chicago Bears three and six, and then the Detroit Lions. And it's just damn confusing trying to figure out what is going to happen in the NFC. But if I list you Panthers, Falcons, Vikings, Seahawks, 49ers, Washington, Eagles, Giants, Bears, none of those teams are actually any good and we'll get slaughtered by either the Cowboys or the Packers in a wildcard game. But we're going to talk about it a little bit here over the next few weeks and especially so when we get to December 1st and our third annual Mixies Awards celebrating mediocrity across football. It's a great celebration that we do every single year uh, of teams just hanging around in the hunt. And that'll be the time that we talk about all those teams again. So hopefully this would probably be the best time because we can talk about every team, but we wait until December 1st every year to see who still has a chance by the time we hit December. I think that's all we got here today, ladies and gentlemen. So thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast, and thank you for stopping in to our NFL Monday pod. I appreciate it so, so much. We got memes of the weekend out as well, wired up on Sunday, talked about Rams uh, and Robert Woods. We had a great combo with Stripe Hype. We went through some of the college football games. Uh, so check out all three of those podcasts. You can go back to last week. We talked with Gage Bridgeford. We talked with Jake from Uncovered NFL. Uh, we got tons of podcasts. Make sure to download as many as you prefer. I mean, we prefer all 770 in the archives, but y'all can do whatever there. Thank you to Bet Online. Forgot to mention them. Thanks to them for partnering with our podcast, and thank you to Believe. Uh, I know I don't mention that as much towards the end, and I should because... They are helping support our dreams here, and you guys can help that as well. Every download gives us about two cents. So if you download 750, that's $15. If you want to just go through Spotify and just keep hitting download over and over, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, there is a spam download function. Also leave a five-star review as well. All of that stuff helps so, so much. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow or right now if you're going to listen to the Memes of the Weekend podcast. Have a great day, everybody. Take it easy.